Welcome to Elevate Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another elevated message. Here's Senior Pastor Sergio Lamone. today. I got a one-off for you today, and uh, we're going to talk about making room for Jesus. Can we, can we talk about that today? Look, let's go all the way back to Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7, and I want you guys to really lean into this because I believe this is going to help you. My prayer for you, I've been praying for you all week, is that God's, God will open your eyes to new levels in him. God will strip off deception in your life, and God will show you a pathway out of your darkness or out of your depression, or out of the level of life that you're at, if you catch this today. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census took place while Curinus, come on, if you're having a baby, that's a good name right there. Curinus. Oh, come on. Some of you got family members with worse names than that. What's up, Curinus? How you doing? All right. It says this, Curinus was governing Syria, so all went to be registered. Everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now listen to this. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. How many know we all know this story? We all saw the cartoon. We've seen the pictures, Jesus laying in a barn, right, with donkeys around him in a manger, laying up on straw. Come on, you you remember the picture. Listen to this. And laid him in a manger. Now catch this. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Tell your neighbor right now, make room for Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I sense you. I know every time we sing praises, your word promises us, Lord God, that when we lift up the name of Jesus, when two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in our midst. So you're here. 
Now, Lord God, I just yield my gift. I yield my tongue. I yield my voice to be a mouthpiece for you to speak into the people of God so that chains may fall off, Lord God, so that we may leave uh, drama behind, so that we may leave pain behind in some circumstances, and we may walk into your light. Lord, I pray today that this word would pierce our hearts, challenge us, and convict us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It's a familiar story, but sometimes what happens with familiar stories, they lose their power. They lose their power. Because we see something in the Bible, we go, oh yeah, I know this, it's the Christmas story. I saw this one. You know, and some of you got it twisted because you never read it in the Bible, you just saw the cartoon. So you actually think there was a little drummer boy there. As I was reading that, some of you go, where's the little drummer boy? Wasn't there, wasn't there a donkey with long ears? Remember that cartoon? Where's the long-eared donkey? Where's that? That's cartoons, guys. This is the Bible. And we get so familiar with some of these stories that we lose the power of them. We lose the revelation behind them. And we, we need the Holy Spirit when we read things that we've read over and over and over again. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal new truths to us. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us and show us things in the scriptures that many times we just scan over. And last week, it was, it was so amazing to see, we had like 30 people rededicate and give their lives to Jesus. And man, so many of you guys that brought people to church as an act of faith so that they can hear the word of God. Man, praise God for that. That's, that's our job. That's you doing what God has called you to do, being a fisher of men, using the power of an invite so that somebody's life might be changed. Let me just tell you something. Don't stop doing that. That's not just for Easter. That's every opportunity you get. Say, hey, what you doing this weekend? Nothing, man. I'm just going to have a few beers. What you got going Sunday morning? You should come to church with me. But so many of us go, ah, you know, they, they ain't going to come. No, no, no. You got to stop thinking like that. That's what the enemy says. That's what the devil thinks. That's what he wants you to believe. But the power of an invite can change somebody's life. And last week, we talked about the power of a decision. And you got to hear from Pastor Willard. You got to hear from Jessica Fielding about how one decision took them off a path of being in a jail cell to now standing before assembly men and managing millions of dollars in grants because of a decision that was made to follow Christ. You heard about a young man that was doing, doing drugs all around this area of South Sacramento, but when it came time to make a decision to serve God, now he is out there slinging the gospel. Come on, somebody. Now he's out there reaching people for Jesus. Come on. And Pastor Willard made one decision where others are still in that world. We talked about that last week, but we need to make go a step further because there's a lot of people that bring Jesus into their life they bring Jesus into their world. But listen, he's in your world, but you still got him out in a barn, in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. You received him. You let him in. But you haven't made room for him. He's in your life, but he influences none of your decisions. He's in your life but you're still broke, busted, come on, and disgusted. Won't even be trusted. Oh, I live right there. Chale. But he's in your life. He's there. You made the decision. You said, yes, come into my life. But where is he in your life? Because you need to know something on this Sunday after Easter. You need to know you need to make room for him. 
You didn't make room for him. And this is the problem that most people find when they make a decision to follow Christ. They think it's just receiving him into their world. Now, let's look at the scripture right here. What happened in this scripture here? Jesus comes to the world to save it. And the Bible says when it's time for him to be birthed, Mary and Joseph had to be put in a barn. A barn. Why? The scriptures say why. Because there was no room for him. My question to you today, and it don't matter if you've been saved a week or 10 years, have you made room for Jesus in your world? Because I'm telling you, there is somebody here, a few somebodies here, that Jesus is in your world and you're content with that. But the problem is, you got him in the barn of your life. Now, what is a barn? You need to catch this revelation today. A barn and the place that Jesus was laid was a place where they put the beasts of burden. He was actually laid in a trough. That would, that's what a manger is. A manger is a trough where they put hay to feed the beasts of burden. Now, what is a beast of burden? A beast of burden would be like a donkey. It would be like cattle. It could be a horse. A beast of burden is a beast that a person uses, catch this, to serve their needs. The horse serves my needs. And I put it in a barn. And I feed it so that when I need a ride, it's there. We put the donkey in the barn because it's going to stay there until I need it to carry my burdens or my goods to get me from one place or another. So that's where the donkey's at because the donkey serves me. We put the oxen over in the barn and we feed it in the manger because when I need my plow pulled... I go to the barn and the ox is there and he comes and works for me. Why do you have Jesus working for you? And I'm just telling you, a majority of us in this room, you ain't made room for Jesus. Jesus is your spare tire in life. Come on, you all know about a spare tire, right? You have one. It's in the trunk. You don't think about it. Probably just me saying it right now is the first time you thought about it in five years. (laughs) But you get a flat tire. Guess what you need? A spare tire. And it's there. You don't think about that spare tire. It's not even on your mind until you need it. And what I have just described to you is much of American Christianity. When we hit a crisis... When we have a need, that's when we're after Jesus. And can I just tell you, Jesus doesn't mind that because his Bible is full of promises that say, when you need me, I'll be there. When you fall, I'll pick you up. Come on, how many are thankful we have a God like that? How many are thankful God's not like you? Because some of you are like, oh, wow, what are you doing here? You haven't talked to me in years. Now you need me? Oh, okay. Y'all know how you do. You know how you do. 
Now you want a favor? Oh, God ain't like us. Aren't you glad God ain't like us? But when you put God in the place of working for you, you miss out on all that God can be doing for you when you're not going through a tough time. Many Americans have Jesus still in that manger. That manger means all you have Jesus doing, listen, is working for you. That's your motive. God, and that's your prayers. God, I just pray right now. I got this big business deal going on. God, bless my business, Lord God. Make this happen for me and my family, Lord Jesus. And it's all you, you, you. You go to church and your, your reason for serving, I, I want to serve at church because I need blessings. I want God to bless me, so I'm going to get on the usher team. I want God to bless me, so I'm going to go serve with the kids. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm seeking a blessing here. So, see, your whole mentality is getting God to bless your life, getting God to bless your business, getting God to bless your marriage, your kids. You don't serve God. You got God serving you. This is how most Christians pick a church. We're looking for a church that meets my needs. Instead of asking God, God, where do you want me? Where do you want me, God? And God won't always lead you to the most comfortable church. But see, when God is serving you, you miss out on so much. And this is what you got to catch. Why is God still in a manger in your life? Why is he working for you with the beasts of burden? Because you haven't made room for him. Let me keep going because it doesn't stop there. You see, the Bible talks about in this scripture, he's placed in the place of the beasts of burden where things were placed that work for him. But there's something else that's going on in that manger. The scriptures say he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, anybody that's ever had a baby understands what swaddling clothes are. Now they give you that one blanket. Come on, you know that one blanket they give you in the hospitals when you have that baby, you know, and, and it's the same, it's been the same blanket for 20 years. I don't know what, that, the print on that blanket, it's the same blanket that they give you. Some of you remember you had it for your first baby, you go back to the hospital, it's the same blanket they got in print. Change it up, but it's that blanket. What is that blanket? That blanket's a swaddling blanket. And guess what that blanket does to that child? It restrains him. And you know why it restrains him? So that he stays quiet. We got Jesus in our life, but he's in the barn. And he's wrapped up in something that keeps him from moving and keeps him quiet. And we like that. Because you know why we like that? Because I get to do, come on, what I want to do. I get to be who I want to be. Come on, let's keep it a buck. I get to do what I want to do. I get to have the business I want to do. I ain't got to listen to nobody telling me nothing. And when somebody does try to tell me something, well, then I got something to say about it. What I'm submitting to you is this, guys, the Jesus that many of us have, he's in your life. But you got him in some swaddling clothes, which means he cannot move in your life. And he will not speak. As long as he's in those swaddling clothes, you won't hear him make a sound. 
And so what happens when we're like that? We don't change. We don't change. The same person you were without Christ is the same person you are sitting in these blue chairs. You still got an attitude. You still got a bad temper. You're still hecka lustful. You still have the same appetites. You still have the same things you desire. You still are on them porn sites. Nothing changes. Why? Because you got Jesus in a barn wrapped up where he can't move and can't speak. Even though you come to church and even though you pray, God, deliver me, your Jesus is wrapped up. I can't. Pastor, why can't he? Because you haven't made room for him in your life. As long as you see, it's, it's not enough to have prayed a prayer. See, some of you, you, you made that decision. We talked about the decision yesterday. Now what you've got to do is you've got to make room for that decision. Are you tracking with me today? I know it's a sobering thought, but if you catch this, this could be why nothing has changed since you've been a member at Elevate Life Church. And you keep thinking it's us. Oh, no, no, let's take it further. You think it's me. Oh, no, man, I'm really praying about going somewhere else because my needs ain't getting met up in this church. I've been coming. I've been serving. I'm still single. We've been giving and we've been doing, but, man, we're still struggling in our finances. And we're looking at everything else, everyone else, but today I came with a big giant mirror. Come on. A mirror like Jerome used to walk around with. Y'all remember Jerome? Come on, the time, Morris Day. Somebody bring me a mirror. I got you today. Look in the mirror. Because you need to find out where is Christ in your life. I know he's in your life, but is he in your living room? Is he in your kitchen? Is he in your bedroom? Or do you got him out in the barn? That the only time you go see him is when you need something. You got him out in the barn where he can't move because he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He can't cry out because you got him sitting there. That's the purpose of swaddling clothes. See, a baby won't cry when it feels like it's back in the womb. It's, it's secure, and so that's a part of why they wrap them because it keeps the baby calm and secure, and he's, he's just there. But see, we don't need a quiet Jesus because how does Jesus change things? He speaks. He speaks. Some of you don't want to hear what he says, though. Therefore, you can't change. Because if he could speak in your situation, he could create a new world. If he could speak about your attitude, it will change. If he could speak about your problems, your sin, whatever it is, it'll change. But you're so set on your life. This is why Jesus would preach things like, in order to find life, you got to lose your life. What was he saying? Make room for me. Make room for me. Everybody that was up here giving Jesus their life last week, that's cool. He's in your world, but let's get him out the barn. He don't belong there. He don't belong there. He belongs every day waking up in that bedroom with you. He belongs in that kitchen. He belongs in that living room. He belongs in your kids' rooms. That way they won't be all crazy. 
Think about what's in your kid's room. That's a whole nother message right there. Some of you got cable with no guards. Some of you got phones you don't check. That's a word for somebody. Somebody needs to go home and check your kid's phone today. Look at my teenagers getting all scared right now. Look at them. Look at them. Look at them. Just squirming right now. Just squirming right now. Take good. Listen, if you got a teenager, you're paying that bill, check that phone. Check that. Check that. Because you know what all incarcerated people that have struggled with violent crimes have in common? A porn life. That study is not even done by Christian people. That's a study that was done in the prison system. When they found people that have committed violent crimes all had a tie to pornography. So young people, we just don't want you being nasty. We don't want that either. Cochinos, oh, come on. But we don't want you being crazy and violent and hating yourself and low self-esteem. But when you got a parent that don't check their kid's phone, didn't you read what we just read in Genesis chapter 8? The heart of man, even from a youth, is evil. Not my baby. Yes, your baby. Your baby and my baby. But you a pastor. The heart of man is evil even from its youth. So we've got to put guards around our youth. And teenagers, you hate it now. But when you're a responsible, good man, you will look back and say, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. When you reach 25 and you ain't got nobody pregnant yet, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. You can get mad all you want right now. Come on, somebody. How did I get onto this? Y'all bringing stuff in you want me to talk about. Somebody need to hear it, I guess. Maybe my kids needed to hear it today. It could be. Could be. Amen. All right, let's keep going here. So, so we got to get Jesus out of that barn, okay? We got to get Jesus out of that barn. You got to let him loose, but you got to make room. I don't want anybody in here to mistake that I'm not talking to you today. I don't want anybody from the front row to the back row to just go, oh, this is good for everybody. No, I'm talking to you. Because we all have a tendency, and I've had to do, I'm preaching this because I've done the checkup already. We all have to look and see the idols in our life. What are we idolizing? Because I got to tell you something. We got to make room for Jesus to be loose. But usually what's in the place of where Jesus needs to be is an idol. And we can all make idols. Pastors, we make idols of our ministries. We make idols of the size of our church. We make idols out of what we're doing. Everybody makes idols. You out there, single people, make idols of your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You make idols of your career, your job. You make idols of your money. Some of y'all even make idols out of your family. Family is a godly thing. Marriage is a godly thing. But if you put it where God, in God's place, it'll destroy you. Don't make an idol out of anything. And we all have the tendency to do that. God, we want you to write this down. God will not share space with idols. And we get this from the scriptures uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, 1 through 10. It's a powerful, powerful scripture. But I believe it's also a prophetic scripture that speaks about how Christians today 
view the presence of God. I want you to catch this today because we're going to read beyond. We're going to look deeper into this thing about what's happening here. See, what happened, let's read in the story. It says, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, what is the ark of God? The ark of God is the very presence of God. It was basically the presence of God in a box. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, come on. Remember that thing that was melting their faces off? Some of y'all remember that one. The presence of God in a box. And what is that? Well, it's similar to what Jesus was the presence of God in flesh. So look at what's happening here. When the Philistines, and Philistines always represent the world, when the world captured Jesus, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon. And they set it up beside Dagon. Now there's a few things that are happening right here. What's happening is, People are taking the presence of God and they're bringing it to a place of an idol. An idol. Let's keep reading. And they set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen down face backwards or face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both of his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Means the doorway. Right when they were coming in, they saw his hands, his legs, and his uh, his head. And then it says, only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them, ooh, listen to this, with tumors. A literal translation of that is emrods, which in today's term could be hemorrhoids. How many, we don't want that plague, Amen. <laughs> Let's keep reading. And when the, uh, uh, do not tread on the threshold of, and they terrified, afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city. Now listen to this. Causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that the tumors, or the hemorrhoids, (laughs) broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron, but as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around, they have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. So what's happening here? What's happening here is this. There's a demonstration of God's power that he will not share a space with an idol. And we try to bring God into our lives with all the other idols we got. So before you got saved, come on, your idol was money. Money, money, money. Money, come on. OJs. Come on, your favorite song was just got paid. 
Friday night. Come on. Feeling, oh, yeah, I see you. I see that. That was your hymn. Come on. That was your hymns. That was your worship. Amen. Paid in full. Come on. All that stuff. That was, that's what we, that was our worship, you know. Thinking of a master plan. Got nothing but sweat inside. Oh, don't get me started. Y'all taking me back. But it was all about money, right? And then we get saved. God ain't going to share the throne with money in your life. That's why he challenges you. When you come to my temple, bring your God, bring money. Give a tithe, give an offering. But some of us don't because money is still your idol. And as long as money is still your idol, Jesus stays in the manger bound up and silent. But for some of us, it wasn't money. You know what it mainly is in America? Y'all ready for this? The main idol we have in America is success. We're chasing success. We want to be successful in our career. We want to be successful in our ministry. We want to be successful in family. We want to be successful husbands. We want to be successful wives. We want to be successful dads, moms. And it all sounds crazy. Great, pastor, what's wrong with wanting to be a success? Nothing as long as you don't make it an idol. Remember, the Bible's clear. You don't chase success. Success chases you. But in order to get success to chase you, you have to institute the kingdom of God in your life. I want to give it up, first of all, to kingdom not of this world yesterday, outreaching, loving God, and lifting others. Yo. Y'all don't know, I met Dale when he was still in the streets. He was coming out of a program. I was working with cops and clergy, and I had a business that I was running, a cleaning business over at the gym. And the police said, hey, would you mind taking on some guys that are trying to turn their life around? I said, sure. Dale was one of those guys. And at the time, uh, his, his wife was, was pregnant, and he was coming in straight off the streets. And, and seeing Dale's journey has been amazing. And just the people you affected yesterday, brother. God bless you, man. God bless you. Uh, because I know that was just something he gave back to his own, his neighborhood in Del Paso Heights, Grant High School. It's an amazing thing. We had the awesome privilege to give to it as a church as well, and we sowed into that. But, but the only reason I, brought, I thought of you, because I'm talking about the kingdom. Because understand this about the kingdom, right? The, you cannot be kingdom. You can put your name on it. You can have, I'm kingdom, I'm kingdom this, kingdom this, kingdom not of this world. What makes kingdom not of this world is if Dale does things the kingdom way. What makes kingdom not of this world kingdom is not that it says kingdom. Do you do things God's way? If you don't, you're not kingdom. You're world not of this world. Come on. Jesse's got a thing called kingdom creative. It ain't kingdom because it's kingdom creative. It's kingdom if you're creative the kingdom's way. See, you remember, Jesus, Jesus corrected the Hebrews, said, hey, you're thinking of the kingdom of God like it's a gold city out somewhere. He said the kingdom of God's within. What was he saying? The kingdom is how you do stuff. It's not your affiliation. It's how you do stuff. So if you're still ripping people off, you ain't kingdom. 
If you lie, cheat, and steal, you ain't kingdom. If you don't tithe, it ain't kingdom. If you don't serve, it ain't kingdom. If you don't treat your wife right, it ain't kingdom. Are you tracking with me today? So what's happening in this thing here is God will not share the throne with your idols. And in America, we serve the idol of success. But we got to stop that. Because when you serve success, you only, bring, you only go out and see Jesus in the barn because you need him to make you a success. So Jesus stays in the barn of your life. Because what's got all your attention? Success. You get up every day, I'm going to make this business work. This bi- I'm going to make this business work. God, help me make my business work. So you, got, you go visit him with the, with the donkey, with the ox that pulls the plow, with the horse that you ride, and that's the extent. But when you do that, remember, he's silent. Because you got a God that you're serving. It's called success. You say, Pastor, then what do I do? You know what you do? You submit to God. And you put your, your success on the altar and you say, God, I want what you think is success. Not what I think is success or what the world thinks is success. Because there are some rich people that are not successful. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. Some of you are like, huh? What? I don't even make sense, Pastor. There are some rich people that are not a success. There are some property owners that are not a success. Their kids hate their guts. Their wife don't love them. Hey, they don't love themselves. That's why they're on medication. Medication to go to sleep, medication to get up. That's not a success. When you want to make sure you're not serving success, you wake up with the mentality and say, God, what do you want? And you know what you do when when you're doing that? You're taking Jesus out of that manger, out of them constricting, swaddling clothes, and he's able to speak to you. And mark my words, the first thing he will say to you is, make room for me. There ain't no room for me in your life, son. You got this in my place. You got that in my place. You want me to do, you want me in your life, you got to make room. Are you tracking with me today? You got to make room. And the whole point of this story here, let me break it down to you real quick. The Bible says that he took the presence of God from the place of Ebenezer. One of the definitions of Ebenezer is the stone of help, the place of help. That's what Jesus is to be to you. It says they took Ebenezer to Ashdod. Ashdod is an interesting word. It means a stronghold, but it also means a place of theft. Because when you study the history of Ashdod, it was a place that was supposed to belong to Judah. Judah is the tribe of praise. This was a land that God had given to them, but listen, they never possessed it. Praise never possessed the promise. And so it was stolen from them. Can I just tell you there are things in your life that the enemy has stolen from you because you won't praise. God says you can have this, but you won't praise. So you live in Ashdod. Tell your neighbor right now, get up out of Ashdod. 
get up out of there. So Judah never possessed it. Praise never possessed it. So here's what happened to the place that they never praised in. It became a place of an idol. It became a place of an idol. A place that was supposed to be a promise is now an idol. See, success is supposed to be a byproduct, but you've made it an idol. We can never forget Satan's fall from heaven because it's very detailed in the Bible. Satan's words were, I will ascend. I will be amongst the clouds. I will, I will, I will. And that, my friends, is what many of you speak like. My business. I will own this. I will own that. And you got to, there's a fine line between a belief and an idol, a confession and an idol. We got to put things in its proper place. And Ashdod was a place that was supposed to be inhabited by praise. But because they wouldn't praise, because they wouldn't worship, they created an idol out of a place that was supposed to be a byproduct. You don't have to chase success, guys. Come on, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Breathe it in. Because some of you are killing yourself trying to be a success. Killing yourself. Killing your families. Your marriage is hemorrhaging because you want to be a success. Because you've made it an idol. Quit chasing success. You ready? And start praising and worshiping. Oh, because then I'm going to be a success. No, no, no. See, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're doing it again. Tell your neighbor, quit doing that. Oh, so if I praise and worship, then I'll be a success. No, then you get Jesus. Oh, I get Jesus. See, that's why you got to read your Bible. Because you don't know if you get Jesus, you get everything that Jesus has. Everything he has. You get healing, you get success, you get everything. But he don't want you focusing on that. He wants you focusing on him. I'm telling you, some of y'all got him in the barn. I'm trying to get him out that barn and getting him into your house. Let's keep reading. So Ashdod means that's a place of theft. But it doesn't stop there. Because when he's mixed with the, in the place of Ashdod, he destroys that idol. He says, I'm not sharing with this idol. Scripture is very funny. That, that Dagon God was, a, was like a fish god. It had a fish head. And check this out. It was a symbol of fertility and crops. It was literally the God of success. Because what did everybody want at that time? They wanted a lot of crops. Because crops meant money. Crops meant my family's going to be okay. Crops meant I got stuff to sell. Crops meant I'm good. And God said, I will not share my, the altar of your heart with your success. And he broke its arms off, cut off his head. So what did they do? Oh my gosh, the Philistines, they panicked. And guess what began to happen? They started to get the hemorrhoids. We'll get into that in a minute. But then it says this, let's get him out of here. And the Bible says they moved the presence of God to Gath. What is Gath? We know Gath is the place where Goliath came from. Gath produced giants. But the word Gath actually means this, the place of the wine press. 
place of the wine press. So here's what some Christians do with the presence of God. We only bust out the presence of God when we want to feel better. Come on, some of you used to go to a church like that. You know what I'm talking about? Churches where they just catch the Holy Ghost on a Sunday. They don't change. They're still mean as heck, but they'll fall on the ground, vibrate. We're catching the Holy Ghost. Do laps around the church. Y'all ever go to a church like that? I used to go to a church like that. Some of the meanest ladies in the whole church would run around that church. Catching the Holy Ghost. I'd be like, God, catch her bad attitude. Change that woman. Always yelling at folks up in this church. And she's the one running and catching the Holy Ghost. Sister so-and-so, always taking a lap. Always falling out in the altar. Meanest one in the place. And we look at that and we go, wow, she's experiencing the Holy Ghost. But her problem is she only breaks the Holy Ghost out when she wants to feel better. So we put the presence of God at the wine press. We got whole churches that exist to make people feel better. Well, pastor, what's wrong with feeling better? Let me just tell you something, boo. It's better to be better than to just feel better. Because feelings lie. And you could feel better, but you ain't better. You feel better, but you ain't better. Now, don't get it wrong. Remember, these aren't bad things. Success is not a bad thing in its proper place. You should want to feel better, but it should not be the idol that you run things on. Because there are going to be times that you don't feel better and you can't run from that. So people that put Jesus in the box of the wine press, they only pull him out when they want to feel better. So they live how they want to live Monday through Saturday. And when they feel bad and when things are tough, then we run to Jesus. Now, again, Jesus is like, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. But if you only relegate me to that, I can't change you. I can't make you feel better. And so Christians run into churches on Sunday mornings to go to a place that makes them feel better. Can I just tell you, we want Elevate Life to be a church that teaches people how to be better. So if I'm going to do that, there are going to be sometimes you're going to come to church and you're going to say, ouch. There are sometimes you're going to come to church and you're going to shed a tear and you're going to feel really bad about your sin. And you're going to feel really bad about how you've been treating your wife and your kids. And that's good because you need to feel bad. You need to be convicted that you put your job ahead of your kids. You need to be convicted that you ain't loving that woman the way she deserves to be loved. Come on, don't get me singing R&B up in here to you. Don't let one of these R&B singers treat your wife, sing to her better than what you're doing. Y'all remember them songs? Baby Face used to sing, I'll cook you dinner. I'll do, do, do. I remember all the words. I'll run your bath water. You ain't going to do better for my wife than I do. I take, challenge received. Challenge received. 
challenge received. Get ready. You're taking a bath tonight, ladies. Somebody's going to give you a bath tonight. Somebody, I saw a husband in here is like, amen, I got you. Somebody's swinging by the liquor store for a bottle of wine tonight. I see you. I see you. Only wine, though. Come on. Son. Leave the henny behind. Leave the henny behind. So they move it to Gath, the place of the wine press. And what they're saying is, Jesus, you could st- your presence can be here, but only when I need it to make me feel good. Guess what happens? They break out in tumors. Because God says, I ain't doing that. That's not how this works. So then they move them to a place called Ekron. Now, what does Ekron mean? Ekron is the place of barrenness. It's the place where nobody's having kids. There's no fruit. There's no reproduction. Can I just tell you right now, there's a lot of Christians that are barren. And some of us go, what are you talking about? I got four kids. Pastor, open your eyes. You can go look in the nursery. You'll see them. But how many spiritual offspring do you have? I'm so glad you got out of jail and you gave your life to Jesus. But how many people are still in jail while you celebrate your freedom? I'm so glad you, you, you ain't out in them streets no more. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you ain't doing that no more. But guess what? You're barren if you have not brought others into your salvation. We got to address that. And see, what they did here, they brought the presence of God into barrenness. And can I tell you what happened in that? When you read the story, God's presence moves in and it wiped out barrenness. It wiped out Ekron. What does that mean? That means when you get a hold of God and you move him in from the manger into the living room, guess what's going to happen? You're going to bear fruit. You're not going to be barren no more. You're going to reproduce. You're going to start sowing and reaping. You're going to start having spiritual offspring. You're going to start having kids that actually want to be around you. Come on. You see this. But we got to put Christ in his right place. When God's presence moves in, it wipes out barrenness. So let's talk about the hemorrhoids real quick. Some of y'all are like, do we have to, Pastor? That's kind of nasty. Again, some Bible scholars believe it was hemorrhoids. Some believe it was tumors, as it says. That's why there's different translations of it. Uh, but, but say it's hemorrhoids, right? What is hemorrhoids? I looked it up. You know what hemorrhoids is? It's the swelling of the secret parts. What does that mean? It means when you don't have Jesus in its proper place, secret things get exposed. should scare you because it scares me. It scares me. I'm tired of watching preachers on TV get exposed and the whole world point at them and go, ha ha, oh man, look at that guy. Look at that. Look at that church. I knew something was wrong with them. I knew, but you better watch how you're pointing. Because as grandma used to say, when you point one finger, there's three pointing back. And in case you got it twisted, we all have secret things we're dealing with. All of us could be lustful thoughts. Could be it could be deeper than that. It could be addictions. It could be anger. It could be a lot of stuff. 
But what begins to happen when God is not in his proper place is our secret places, our secret parts begin to swell. Now, another thing about that is this, the areas that you don't let God touch that are in secret now begin to destroy your life. And they begin to end your marriage. The anger that's in you begins to destroy your relationship with your kids. It's the reason you got fired. Your bad attitude that you keep secret. You don't want anybody to know. Let me just put it to you like this. If you're the kind of person when pastor comes around, you got to put on church you. Come on, how many got, how many got a you and a church you? Yeah, glad nobody raised their hand on that. Because you don't need to, because I already know some of you do. I already know some of you do. I don't want to freak you out, but there's equipment that comes with pastors where we know what you think we don't know. I can't explain it. It's how God helps us take care of the sheep. He doesn't tell me to do something and then not empower me to do it. And so catch this now. So we go through this Christian life protecting our weaknesses. It's good as long as pastor don't know. It's good as long as the church don't find out. But what begins to happen when you don't have Jesus in his proper place, the secret places start to swell. And at some point, that bad attitude is going to destroy your business. At some point, that orphan spirit is going to mess up your relationships. At some point, the thing that you keep going, oh no, I don't have that problem. I don't have that problem. It's going to swell up. And you're going to have to deal with that. It's going to destroy you. I've seen it time and time again. It gets exposed and everything's blown up. But guys, it can all be fixed if you just make room for Jesus. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store and you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.